I've got clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, and here you are, stuck in the middle with me! Hey, Saturday Night Live stealing my gig. What's well, up with that? I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and blanketing the globe. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide from the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Glad you could join us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure. Coming up, the Democratic presidential nominees faced off over the weekend in Flint, Michigan, in the uh, the town facing a catastrophic lead poisoning crisis thanks to the Republican state government there. We'll uh, that'll that'll be the uh, first of two Democratic debates that will be held this week. We will talk about that one with two Michigan residents shortly. But first, if you weren't paying attention, there were a bunch of nominating contests held over the weekend on both the Democratic and Republican sides. The bulk of them on what is being called Super Saturday. And the results were both interesting and counter to the prevailing conventional wisdom that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are sailing to the nomination in their respective parties. Yes, Bernie Sanders and, yes, Ted Cruz both won the weekend. Had you heard? Uh, first, on the uh, let's uh, on the Republican side in Kansas, the uh, a caucus in Kansas, Ted Cruz won big, twenty five points over te- uh, over uh, Donald Trump in the state of Kansas. In Maine, Ted Cruz also won big, thirteen points over Donald Trump. In Kentucky, also a caucus, Trump. Uh, Trump did win. He beat Ted Cruz, but it was much closer by just four points. And in Louisiana, where they did hold a primary, not a caucus, Donald Trump won over Ted Cruz, at least reportedly. And that one was very close as well. Three point five points over Ted Cruz. So officially on Super Saturday, Ted Cruz. Yes, Ted Cruz won two nominating contests. Trump won two nominating contests. And, uh, well, uh, on Super Saturday, party savior Marco Rubio won absolutely nothing. Uh, But he did sweep Puerto Rico on Sunday, so there's that. 
The Super Saturday delegate count was 69 delegates for Ted Cruz, just 53 for Donald Trump. So Ted Cruz won the weekend delegate count. Now uh, Trump is still up. He's still ahead, but not by all that much. Trump has 384 delegates to Ted Cruz's 300. Then Marco Rubio is far behind with 151. And then uh, John Kasich is still in the race with just 37 delegates uh, so far. Uh, but this could turn out to be a race. Uh, the f- uh, funny thing, however, happened Saturday in Louisiana. Donald Trump, as soon as the polls closed in Louisiana, uh, Donald Trump was immediately announced the big winner uh, based on the release of early absentee votes that were counted in advance. Absentee ballots are, are cast on paper. All the networks and AP, etc., called it immediately for Donald Trump, declaring a landslide win for him in Louisiana. And then, as the night went on, as they actually started tabulating Election Day votes, those votes that were actually cast on Election Day, and the margin between Trump and Ted Cruz kept getting smaller and smaller to the point that uh, folks like Nate Silver over at 538.com uh, and other people who watch these results really closely, suddenly they all thought that the networks made a big mistake, that they should be retracting their call for Donald Trump because it looked like Ted Cruz could overtake him based on Election Day votes, which Ted Cruz was winning big time. Remember, when when they call these races, when you hear that AP has called the race or CNN has called the race, it's not based on actual vote counts. It's based on stuff like exit polls uh, and uh, sometimes absentee ballots that have been counted in advance, early voting, absentee and so forth. It's not based on actual vote counts. And then. When you do get those numbers, those counts are not actually based on people counting paper ballots. They're based on whatever the computers told them the paper ballots said. Now, as the margin on Saturday in Louisiana in the, on the Republican side got smaller and smaller, it became clear that according to the early and absentee votes cast on paper and tallied in advance of Election Day, Trump was, in fact, uh, the huge winner by about 25 points. But according to the Election Day votes only, Cruz was the winner. So that raises two really interesting questions, at least to me. One, did the GOP debate last Thursday night, the insane GOP debate and the ensuing panic from Republicans that uh, Donald Trump was on a glide path to becoming their nominee, did that change the outlook for GOP voters? It appears that it might have, because a lot more of them now seem to be voting for Ted Cruz. So good luck with that, Republicans. Uh, It may mean, however, that uh, neither Cruz nor Trump nor Rubio nor anyone else gets enough uh, delegates to become the nominee on the first ballot with a majority of the uh, of the delegates. And, And if that happens, that whole convention is up for grabs. Anything can happen. All the pledged delegates are released from their pledges and they can vote for whoever they want, even if it's someone who hasn't been in the race up till now, like Mitt Romney or Paul Ryan. As I should note, my father was the first to point out to me uh, some weeks ago, maybe months ago at this point, uh, that uh, Paul Ryan could ride in and be the party's savior once again. We'll see. Uh, Number two, the bigger issue to me, uh, or, well, yeah, much bigger issue, frankly. A very real question arose on Saturday as the uh, results were narrowing as to whether we would ever, ever actually know who won the Louisiana primary. Since the entire state votes 
on election day on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems made by a company that is now out of business. It's called Sequoia. They were purchased by a, a Canadian company called Dominion. The entire uh, state still votes on those 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So who knows how people actually voted on Election Day in Louisiana? We don't. All we can go, go on is these unverifiable voting machines, which maybe accurately reflect the will of the voters. Maybe they don't. But now here's the thing. Uh, about those specific unver the specific ones, the specific unverifiable uh, touchscreen voting machines that were used across the state of Louisiana on Election Day. Those are also used, by the way, uh, across the swing state of Nevada and elsewhere still around this country, such as Illinois still uses uh, Chicago, uses the uh, Sequoia touchscreen edge voting system, for example. And in Chicago, Illinois has its primary coming up for both Democrats and Republicans on March 15th with a ton of delegates available there. In any event, aside from being unverifiable, the Sequoia touchscreen machines, which, you know, were unable to know if Louisianans actually preferred Cruz over Trump or vice versa. But those Sequoia touchscreen voting machines also have, as Bradblog.com broke, exclusively back in November of 2006. And you can still go look it up. Go to bradblog.com, look for, uh, search for the words yellow button. These Sequoia machines have a little yellow button on the back that can be pressed in such a way that as we detailed back in 2006, 10 years ago, and as a longtime poll war worker who was uh, trained, uh, who actually trained others to use those machines in out here in California, back when we used to use the same ones, as he explained to me at the time, you can press this button in such a way that you can then vote as many times as you want on that machine. And, quote, you won't ever have to stop until someone physically restrains you from voting. Those were the machines that were used across the state of, uh, of Louisiana on Saturday. Machines that have a little yellow button, they're going to be used again in, in Chicago, that can be pressed in a specific way, and we detail the way to do it uh, at bradblog.com, so that you can vote as many times as you want until you are physically restrained. So, uh, yeah. That's what's going to that's what we're still uh, using in this country, incredibly enough. And the Republicans uh, decided the Republican race. Remember, a Republican Party that likes to pretend that there is massive uh, voter fraud going on, people voting more than once, etc. Now, at the time that we broke that story at Bradblog uh, back in 2006, that yellow button issue was confirmed out here. Uh, in California by the office of then Republican Secretary of State Bruce McPherson. The, uh, those Sequoia touchscreen edge machines were subsequently decertified for use in the state of California by the Democratic Secretary of State who won the election out here that year. We no longer use them out here, but Louisiana still hates its voters enough that they still do so. So who actually won the Republican primary in Louisiana on Super Tuesday? Well, officially, it was Donald Trump, but uh, based on the unverifiable machines who say that he won by a hair, pardon the pun. 
But nobody actually knows. And if uh, if Ted Cruz wanted to make sure that, you know, he might have actually won on Election Day and uh, in total in Louisiana, if he wanted to find out by challenging the reported results to do a recount or something like that, he would have almost no way of ever knowing. I should say he would have no way of ever knowing whether he actually won or lost in Louisiana. Now, you may not care. You may not care when it's a question of, you know, Trump versus Cruz. But I suspect you do care if it's a question of Sanders versus Clinton or uh, Clinton versus Trump or Cruz in the fall. You you should care. So is this any way to run a, a supposed democracy? And by the way, when will Republicans or Democrats start giving a damn about this issue? That story, I broke that 10 years ago, and they're still using the same machines that you can vote multiple times on. And even if you don't, you don't know if the reported results actually request the, uh, reflect the intent of the voters. So, uh, you know, when will it be, get fixed? I suspect it's only when a huge election hangs in the balance and we're all looking at another mess like the one that we saw in, in 2000 in Florida. Or perhaps more accurately, when a Republican gets screwed really hard by one of these machines and one of these contests that ends up going to a Democrat, then then they'll take action. Speaking of Democrats, uh, let's look at that. How that go over the weekend? Well, in Louisiana, once again, where there is 100 percent unverifiable uh, touchscreen voting systems across the state, Hillary Clinton won and she won big, according to those reported results, by 48 points. Not a complete surprise and not much of a question. Uh, Bernie Sanders wasn't really trying down there in uh, in the state of Louisiana. So did she actually win by 48? We don't know. But she most likely won that primary. The caucuses, however, were a different matter. Bernie Sanders won the Kansas state caucus. He won it big by 36 points with record turnout by the Democrats in the state of Kansas. Something that uh, Bernie Sanders has been arguing, that he can get out larger uh, numbers of, of people. Well, maybe there's finally some evidence for that in the state of Kansas. In Nebraska, the caucus there, Bernie Sanders also won with a pretty healthy margin, 14 points over uh, Hillary Clinton. In Maine, Bernie Sanders also won. It was a landslide in Maine. That was on Sunday, actually. A huge turnout. He reportedly won by 20 nine points in the state of Maine, where they had uh, such huge crowds, they were overwhelmed, according to uh, Democrats, were overwhelmed by the turnout in Portland and elsewhere around the state, according to WMTW News in Portland. Uh, they said that the line to get inside of uh, the Deering High School uh, caucus in Portland, for example, stretched around the athletic fields. Some estimated the line to get inside the school was at least a half mile long. The process uh, was moved outside to ease congestion inside the school. Uh, one of the uh, organizers there said it's sort of survival of the fittest, I think. I think about all the people with actually this was an organizer. This was somebody waiting in line said, I think about all the people with young kids who got online that clearly can't still be online. Elderly people who are wrapped around the block. So it's sad there wasn't better foresight of this. Yeah, you think. 
One man said he had been in line for three hours and still hadn't voted. Two told WMTW uh, uh, that they waited in line for five hours to vote. At one point, the crowd was doing the wave to pass the time, reportedly. Much of the enthusiasm uh, in the line appeared to be for Sanders, Uh, who told his supporters over the past week in Portland that uh, he will win if there is a large turnout. Well, there was a large turnout and enough people were able to stick around in line long enough for Bernie Sanders to win in a landslide, 29 points. So Bernie Sanders, not Hillary Clinton, but Bernie Sanders not only won three out of four nominating contests over the past weekend, but he also beat her in delegates. Bernie said, and, and you wouldn't know this from watching, you know, CNN or, or reading the mainstream media. Bernie Sanders won 67 delegates over the weekend. Hillary won just 64. She's still beating him in total voted delegates and total pledged delegates, but not by a lot. 400. Uh, let's see. Yeah, she's got 658. He's got 471. But most of the mainstream media, as we've been reporting, has been including the super the so-called superdelegates, the party insiders and elected officials who haven't actually cast their vote. They don't vote until the convention. So as far as real voted delegates go, it's pretty close. Hillary uh, leads by just 187. Well, 166 delegates are up for grabs in Michigan and Mississippi alone this Tuesday. And well over 600 delegates uh, are up for grabs the Tuesday after that. So there's 187 delegate uh, margin here. That's it. 130 delegates alone are up for grabs in Michigan on Tuesday. And so the Democrats held a debate on Sunday in Flint, Michigan, a town, as I noted, that is at the epicenter of a massive lead poisoning crisis caused by the state's Republican government and Republican governor. And that is what we will discuss next. That debate in Michigan, in Flint, Michigan. Next, we will discuss it with two Michiganders right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one-time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Excuse me, I'm talking. Let him sprung. If you're no, going to talk, tell the whole story, uh, Senator Let Sanders. me tell my story, you tell yours. I will. Let's get it on. Yes, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Democratic presidential candidates got it on over the weekend in Flint, Michigan. I'm sorry I said that. 
I have just seen something in my brain that I cannot unsee. My apologies to listeners. Let's say they squared off on Sunday in Flint, Michigan. Uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders did. In Flint, where the city is still contending with the disastrous toxic lead poisoning crisis in their drinking water, brought on by the state's Republican governor, Rick Snyder, and his appointment of a so-called emergency manager in Flint, who, in addition to usurping the powers of the locally elected government, approved a switch from drinking water from the Detroit water system to drinking water from the Flint River, which corroded pipes and permanently poisoned untold thousands of people, including children who will now face neurological and other problems for the rest of their lives. Here's how Anderson Cooper explained it at the top of the debate on CNN on Sunday night. This is a city in crisis, a city where, as you probably know, the tap water is toxic. Public servants, public institutions not only failed to prevent the crisis, their decisions created this crisis. The state of Michigan, in an effort to save money, switched Flint's water source to a cheaper but riskier alternative, the Flint River. Safeguards were ignored. That river water water corroded residential pipes and for nearly two years, lead leaked into the water used in people's homes. Now, for much of that time, the state downplayed the danger, even in the face of growing complaints and physical evidence. For 100 days, the federal government knew about it, and yet in all that time, nobody told the people of Flint. They bathed in the water, they drank it, and so did their kids. Even today, lead is still present in some of the water. That was Anderson Cooper introducing the, uh, the Democratic debate in Flint, Michigan, on Sunday night. And just as we go to air here today, a lawsuit stemming from Flint's lead-contaminated water was filed on behalf of the city's residents against Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, as well as other current and former government officials and corporations, according to AP. This latest lawsuit, which seeks a jury trial and unspecified damages, was filed on behalf of seven residents. As well, a second recall petition has now been filed by a Flint activist naming Snyder while referencing the water crisis. That was approved. That second recall petition was approved on Monday by the Board of State Canvassers, according to the Detroit Free Press. It was an extraordinary debate, I think, on Sunday night in that I can't think of Another one like it, frankly, where so much of a presidential debate was devoted to one single important local issue directly in the town that was affected by it. Uh, Several weeks ago, after the national media finally began to notice the disaster in Flint, we were joined here on the broadcast by Flint resident, father and novelist Connor Coyne to discuss what he had felt the uh, national media had been getting wrong in their coverage of the crisis in Flint, specifically by ignoring the devastating impact of the emergency manager system that had been imposed on them by Governor Snyder, not just in Flint, but also in other cities around Michigan. This was after voters had actually voted to end the state's emergency management system, the emergency manager law, by a state referendum in 2012. But immediately that law was reinstituted at the state capitol in a way that it could not be voted down again by the people in a state referendum. I thought it would be a good idea to have two guests here today, both from Michigan. Uh, and uh, first, I thought it would be good to have Connor Coyne back following Sunday night's Democratic debate. Connor, as I said, is a writer, novelist and stay at home dad from Flint, Michigan. 
His website is at connorcoin.com. Hey, Connor, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate you uh, coming back. Now, as I recall, you have two young daughters, and uh, happily, you had helped uh, to keep them safe uh, early on, as you told me last time you were on the show, by installing filters on your taps uh, early in the crisis and so forth. How, how are they and you doing out there in Flint at this point? I mean, as far as we know, they're doing fine. We are not aware of them having had any ill effects. It, it, still, is, uh, it still is stressful. Um, I mean, everything's stressful. The, uh, you know, one, one of the things which has been kind of going around recently is people who had their water tested, and it tested very low for lead, uh, as did our house, uh, have gotten subsequent tests, and it's shown fluctuations. So mm. in some cases, uh, households where lead was at an acceptable level, it is now, uh, now higher in those homes. Mm. Um, and this has been over the last, last couple months. So, so now we're sort of concerned about that, but... Um, but as, as far as we know, they're okay, and they haven't had any ill effects. And, you know, like uh, every, every parent in the city, we're just going to keep doing what we have to do and keep an eye on the situation. Wow, what a perilous and horrible way to, uh, to live. Uh, joining us also is fellow Michigander Marcy Wheeler. She is an independent journalist covering legal issues around national security, civil liberties, and presidential politics. She's been a contributor to The Guardian, Salon, The Intercept, and can and should be read at EmptyWheel.net and on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Uh, hey, Marcy Wheeler, welcome back to the broadcast. Good to be back. It's been too long, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, very quickly now, just for transparency's sake, for this uh, point of this dis debate discussion, Marcy, are you currently working for or leaning towards uh, any of the candidates, Democratic, Republican, or otherwise at this point? Um, I am not working for at all. I prefer Sanders in the primary, but I, I think Hillary is going to be better than a Republican, and I expect she'll win the nomination. So, And uh, Connor Coyne, uh, are you working or leaning towards any particular candidate? Uh, I'm not working for either candidate. Actually, uh, Marcy summed up my, uh, my views relatively well. I, uh, I think uh, that this year the the Democratic Party is benefiting from two extraordinary candidates and that this competition between them has uh, made them both better. And so uh, so I'm, I'm voting for Sanders, uh, but I will be happy to vote for Clinton in November should she get the nomination. And in fact, the state of Michigan is voting on, uh, on Tuesday with a lot of delegates uh, at stake there. Uh, before we get to the CNN Democratic debate, you guys, uh, the one in Flint, uh, there was an insane Republican debate sponsored by Fox News last Thursday down in Detroit. I very quickly wanted to get thoughts from each of you from a Michigan perspective on that debate. Uh, there was just one, uh, one question to one candidate, as I recalled, uh, I think it was to Marco Rubio, about the Flint disaster, nothing at all on what I think is the most outrageous aspect in truth, this entire emergency manager law, this really ultimate big government tyranny that Republicans pretend to be against, where, you know, you just uh, the, the governor can replace anyone he wants, any elected officials he wants with any uh, one of his choosing. So very quickly, uh, what were your thoughts on the Michigan aspects of that debate held in Detroit, after all, which, you know, also has uh, had emergency managers appointed there by the governor? Uh, uh, Marcy Wheeler, uh, and any thoughts on that uh, from a Michigan perspective? Yeah, I think uh, Rubio spent a, an entirety of about um, 45 seconds responding to the Flint question. There was 
another question I think to maybe Kasich on um, Detroit schools, which, as you said, were mm -hmm. also put under an emergency manager. But if you compare the Flint response from Rubio to his probably two-minute Benghazi response later in the debate, it really makes <laughs> it clear the degree to which Republicans... I mean, look, Snyder is, is dead weight around the Republicans' neck. And I, and I think that, you know, he hasn't... He hasn't endorsed anyone, I think, because nobody wants his endorsement. Mm -hmm. um, even within the state, there are increasing numbers of Republicans who admit that uh, ultimately this was his screw-up. I mean, he promised confidence and delivered poison. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, Connor, did, uh, were you surprised that there was not more on Flint in that uh, Republican debate? I mean, it was in Detroit, after all. We, You know, we know that... Fox News and Republicans don't like to talk about this because, you know, they have to blame their own party. But were you surprised it didn't, didn't come up more in that debate? No, not really. It, at, the, at the risk of being blunt, it's been, I think, decades since, uh, since the Republican Party has really been, uh, been interested in, uh, in Flint in any capacity other than, uh, other, than, other than, you know, a nuisance that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I wasn't particularly surprised by by Rubio's response either. Neither its brevity or uh, it's it's kind of out of out of touch with uh, with the with the problem. Uh, you know, one of the things he he said, sort of, I believe, at the tail end of that statement was that he was uh, that it, it should not be politicized, right. uh, which is of course something that many Republicans have said, not so much in defense of. Uh, Governor Snyder, per se, but perhaps to put distance between themselves and the problem. And I kind of always come back at that with, uh, you know, I, I, I catch my daughter with crayons coloring on the wall, and I say, what is this? And she says, Dad, let's not politicize this. Let's <laughs> focus on solutions. <laughs> I like your daughter already. Uh, now, to be fair, at the uh, at the Democratic debate, there was also not a lot of time. And this is the one in Flint on Sunday. There was not a lot of time spent, uh, unfortunately, on the emergency manager law either. Uh, a good portion was spent on the specifics of the Flint crisis and and others around the state, but not on the law itself. Uh, Hillary Clinton, however, she did address it at one point uh, during one of her answers related to the crumbling Detroit school system, the, the facilities there, which have also now been put under the control of an emergency manager. Uh, here, here was Hillary Clinton br bringing this up on Sunday. I would use every legal means at my disposal to try to force the governor and the state to return the schools to the people of Detroit, to end the emergency management. If you look at the data, the situation has only gotten worse with these emergency managers that have put the system further in debt. Uh, Connor Coyne, was there enough focus? We'll, we'll talk about the, you know, the specific Flint crisis in a moment, but was there enough focus, even in this debate, in Flint of all places, you know, where they, they did go into the details, obviously, of the water crisis, but not the uh, Michigan's emergency manager system itself. Were you satisfied with the amount of time spent on that? Well, I wasn't satisfied. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't ideal. I do wish that they had talked more about emergency management, partly just because I think it's a, it, it's sort of a, it's a pernicious uh, strategy to try and try and fix a local problem. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it really has more to do with uh, with sort of stripping power away from from localities than it it, it really does with solving uh, structural financial problems, which is of course the big excuse for having those laws in the first place. Um, 
that being said, I can kind of see why the focus was a little bit more on the water uh, crisis specifically from the candidate's perspective because they would have been essentially in agreement on uh, repealing mm. the emergency manager law. Yeah. So I, I do wish it had gotten more because I feel like the public perception and the public pressure to demand accountability hinges a whole lot on understanding the role that the emergency management law played in the fact that this crisis happened in the first place. Um, but I guess I wasn't, I wasn't surprised that that level of emphasis did not happen at a debate between between two Democratic candidates. Marcy Wheeler, uh, you currently uh, call Grand Rapids home, uh, so not in Flint, but uh, not far away in Michigan. Uh, how do the Republicans in the state who pretend to be against big government, how do they justify the use of such a uh, an undemocratic system, an undemocratic law as the emergency management law? And, and, and how do Democrats let them get away with it at this point for so many years. I mean, wh why aren't it just millions marching in the streets at this point? Well, one of um, one of the dirty little secrets about the emergency manager law is that it was first instituted under uh, Governor Blanchard back in the 80s, and Granholm used it uh, with many of the same cities who then got re-upped into emergency management under Snyder. The difference is that Snyder made the law much more onerous in, in, in that these appointed managers with usually no expertise in governance could uh, get rid of contracts, could basically take over the entire city. So the underlying reason why Michigan has emergency managers is, one, because it's a very segregated place. Um, Grand Rapids is one of the least diverse cities. It's mm -hmm. the second biggest city in the state. It's one of the least diverse. It's also where DeVos lives and where uh, where the big Republican money in, this, in the state is. Nothing like that would ever happen in Grand Rapids, mm. even though we suffer from some of the same big city problems. And and the reason is Rick, really. And when Rick, Rick Snyder, the governor there. Um, D Dick DeVos is one of the GOP's biggest ah. fundraisers in the country, and um, Amway was founded here. They are big donors in the city. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're very big on things like, um, quote-unquote, school choice. Um, they'd like to privatize a lot of the government. Um, but, but what happened in the 80s is that as globalization really hit, uh, hit Michigan badly, began to, um, and you had these predominantly African-American cities and white flight and white suburbs, um, one way to deal with that, I mean, that what you should have done, what, what Michigan should have done at that point was say, we're a region, we're a state, we're going to share money, we're going to live or die together, we're going to find a way out of the challenges presented to our state by globalization together. But because of the underlying racism that has existed in Michigan for a very long time, and you'll see Trump win by big numbers because of it, no one wanted to do that. No one wanted to ask white suburbanites to chip. I mean, mm. Detroit is kind of crazy that like well, everyone in Detroit suburbs love uh, the Detroit Institute of Art and its sports facilities and yeah. they go in and use them but the notion that you would pay for a Detroit school child as opposed to a museum was anathema to all the same rich suburbanites who, who wouldn't kind of chip in and so that's the underlying problem and that we have big Republican money that is invested in disinvesting from government 
And, um, a, and of and, course, it has been the, 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 the cities around the state that are majority African-American uh, that have been uh, have had uh, emergency managers appointed there by the governor. Uh, both candidates called for Rick Snyder to resign from office, the governor there. It was the first time that Hillary had done so. Uh, and and they both described how they would handle the problem as president. Here's here's Hillary Clinton uh, on that question. Well, I support what President Obama is doing. He called for and got accountability from officials at the EPA who should have done more to make sure the state was doing its job. He has expanded Medicaid to begin the process of helping kids particularly get the health care they need. He's also ordered that there be a Head Start program. I support that. When it comes to the water itself, we are supporting a program that Mayor Weaver announced today, uh, Flint Water Works, to actually pay people in Flint, not outsiders, people here, to deliver the water while we're fixing the pipes. And here was Bernie Sanders responding to uh, to that same question about what he would do as president and, and frankly, what the president should be doing now. What is going on? is a disgrace beyond belief. If local government does not have the resources, if state government, for whatever reason, refuses to act, children in America should not be poisoned. Federal government comes in, federal government acts. What is absolutely incredible to me is that water rates have soared in Flint. You are paying three times more for poison water than I'm paying in Burlington, Vermont, for clean water. First thing you do is you say people are not paying a water bill for poison water. And that is retroactive. Second of all, to ease anxiety, CDC has got to come in here and examine every child and adult in this community in terms of the amount of lead they may have. That was Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton at the uh, Sunday debate on CNN in Flint, Michigan. Uh, Connor Coyne, uh, as a Flint native there, and uh, after watching all that has gone on over the past year or two, uh, after the state came in and uh, took over and, and caused this problem, would the people of Flint now welcome the feds coming in and taking things over themselves, or, or would you prefer... To see all of this turn back to local control as, you know, to the elected officials in Flint as it, frankly, should have been in the first place. Oh, wow. That's, that's a question with a lot of different layers to it. But I, I, I think on the, in, in terms of the response to crisis, I think there's been a very strong sense among almost, almost all Flint residents I know, including myself, that the, the problems that this city is facing including the water crisis, and the water crisis is the most urgent example, but, mm-hmm. but certainly not limited to it, are beyond the capacity of local leadership to address. Uh, we really need federal aid in order to stabilize the city. And we have, like every city around the country, we you know, have local leaders who have done a very good job and we're very proud of them, and we've had local leaders that we've been very disappointed in. But you could be, you could be like, you know, the, the brainchild of Einstein, Gandhi, and FDR and be elected to a local position in Flint, and you would not be able to solve Flint's problems because they are so structurally 
entrenched and kind of like Marcy had uh, you know referenced a little bit ago are 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 the result of of systemic racism and economic practices that go back for generations so in terms of in terms of fixing the lead pipes in terms of testing children in terms of demanding accountability from the state government um, in terms of like you know comprehensive investigation that will ensure that this sort of thing never happens again. I think everybody in Flint that I know welcomes federal intervention. Um, but see, I think, think that's a, a fundamentally different kind of intervention than what we've seen under the emergency managers. Mm. Because again, the emergency managers strip the city of its autonomy and its ability to to solve its own problems. Uh, Let me ask Marcy, well, Marcy, what's the holdup right now with the feds doing exactly what both candidates seem to want, taking a more aggressive role in Flint? Uh, Why is that not happening under uh, under Obama at this point? Well, one of the problems is that normally you would get an emergency declaration and get funds accorded through that. But because this is not a natural emergency, it's a Governor Snyder-caused emergency, uh, Obama would either have to kind of do that on his own, which would get him in trouble with the GOP legislature and Congress, or he'd have to pass law to say, in this case, you know, granted it wasn't a flood that caused this disaster, um, it was instead human error on the part of Michigan. So that's that's one problem. But I also think um, there are two other ways that feds really do need to be involved, and one is uh, the EPA standards, both for water testing and CDC funds for tracking lead exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, the standards need to be bumped up. And they need to be ensured so that other cities do- doesn't happen to Flint and so that as Flint continues to test, they're actually getting good numbers. Mm-hmm. CDC, then the number for lead abatement has, has kind of been backed off because of Republicans. That should be reversed, and we should put pressure on, on the feds to do that. But really importantly, and this is something that Sanders raised last, last night, is that, you know, the civil engineers say we need something like $3 trillion of investment to get our infrastructure where it needs to be. And that's things like these pipes. That's things like Michigan's roads. That's things like the schools in Detroit that are falling apart. Things like the bridge to Canada. And that's something that at the federal level we need to reverse our spending priorities and stop spending trillions of dollars or more and start spending money keeping America, you know, safe, the infrastructure safe, uh, in a way that we haven't done, you know, since for 15 years. And both... And, and both of the candidates in Flint, uh, the Democratic candidates, spoke to that and, and talked about a program to replace all of the lead pipes in the country. We're talking about some 10 million uh, uh, lead service pipes around the country. Um, Marcy, uh, before we got got to get to a break shortly here, but uh, I thought it was extraordinary to spend so much time on one issue. Uh, one sort of sort of local. I mean, it's a local issue, but it's also a national concern. Uh, have we ever seen a presidential debate like that held on such a specific local issue before, to your knowledge? Not that I remember, but it was. But I think the policy issues underlying it extended well beyond Flint, and so it was a really wonderful opportunity to use Flint as a launching point to talk about larger policy issues and to raise attention on Flint. 
Uh, Connor Coyne, did either of the, the two candidates speak to the concerns of Flint residents any better than the other as you see it? In other words, uh, did they win anybody over in Flint specifically, uh, you know, based on their response to the, to the Flint crisis, at least as reflected in the debate last night? Well, I did notice that, uh, that, that Anderson Cooper drew, drew the one boo line of the night uh, with his comment about uh, teachers' unions. But, um, but beyond that, you know, it, it, it was very difficult for me to tell. I have a lot of friends that support both candidates. I've heard, you know, a lot of positive things and some negative things about, about both of them. So I, I don't really have a, have, a, have a strong sense yet about, about how, how Flint's going to, 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 to go. I do know that, um, I do know that our, our mayor, our Karen Weaver, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and, and a number of people in her administration have endorsed Senator Clinton. So there is a sense that, uh, that the municipal government, such as it is under receivership right now, uh, does support uh, Clinton. But, yeah, I don't know as much about individual voters. Uh, Marcy, did you get a sense, uh, very quickly, uh, did you get a sense that either Clinton or Sanders was better or worse than the other on uh, on specifically on the Flint uh, issues? And we're going to broaden it out a little bit to other uh, issues as well, uh, also in, in Michigan. But on, on the Flint issue, did anybody gain or lose any ground uh, in that debate as you saw it? You know, I, I expect... Hillary, I mean, demographically, Hillary, I think, would do better in Flint in any case, but I think Hillary, because she has worked uh, with Mayor Weaver and some other local leaders, will will get support from that. And and to her credit, she's the, I mean, this should have been a public issue back in October. In January, she raised it and made it a presidential issue. She's the one who did that, and I think that'll give her a lot of credit. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with more uh, on the Democratic debate in Flint last night. And as I said, some broader topics with my guests, Connor Coyne of Flint, Michigan, and Marcy Wheeler of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. I voted to save the auto industry. He voted against the money that ended up saving the auto industry. If you are talking about the Wall Street bailout, where some of your friends destroyed this economy, you know, excuse me, I'm talking. Let me tell my story, you tell yours. I will. Your story is for voting for every disastrous trade agreement and voting for corporate America. Here is the difference, not a personal difference, we just do things. Differently. There's only you and me and we just disagree. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here uh, covering the Sunday night de- Democratic debate in Flint, Michigan. The first of two this week. There will be another Democratic debate this week and a Republican debate this week. So we've got uh, plenty to cover in the uh, in the days ahead. I suspect my guests uh, today, I'm joined by uh, Michiganders, Michigan natives, Marcy Wheeler in, uh, uh, in Grand Rapids, uh, uh, journalist. Uh, Marcy Wheeler and uh, novelist and uh, Flint dad uh, Connor Coyne joins us from Flint uh, where he raises his two daughters and is contending with that lead crisis that is ongoing in Flint. Uh, Okay, Uh, they talked about more than just the Flint water crisis. They talked about other issues 
that concerned the entire nation. I want to get into some of those very quickly. Specifically, uh, Hillary Clinton played this card that she hadn't played before against Bernie Sanders concerning the bailout of the auto industry. I want to play a, a clip from this, and, and then hopefully Marcy Wheeler can explain can explain what actually happened here. He was against the auto bailout. I voted to save the auto industry. He voted against the money that ended up saving the auto industry. I think that is a pretty big difference. Well, if you are talking about the Wall Street bailout, where some of your friends destroyed this economy. You know. Excuse me, I'm talking. Let him sprung. If you're going to talk, tell the whole story, Senator Sanders. Let me tell my story, you tell yours. I will. Your story is for voting for every disastrous trade agreement and voting for corporate America. Did I vote against the Wall Street bailout? I said let the billionaires themselves bail out Wall Street. Shouldn't be the middle class of this country. Okay. Wait a minute. Ultimately, if you look at our records, I stood up to corporate America Time and time again, I led the fight against us. That is one of the major differences that we have. Secretary well, if I, if I could, to set the record straight, I voted against the only multinational trade agreement that came before me when I was in the Senate. It was called CAFTA. I came out against the TPP. After it was finished, I thought it was reasonable to actually know what was in it before I opposed it. I oppose it. So when I talk about Senator Sanders being a one-issue candidate, I mean very clearly, you have to make hard choices when you're in positions of responsibility. The two senators from Michigan said we have to get this money released. I went with them and I went with Barack Obama. You did not. If everybody had voted the way he did, I believe the auto industry would have collapsed, taking four million jobs with it. Okay, well, there was a lot wrapped up into that one clip. So, Marcy Wheeler, uh, do you understand who supported what in this exchange? What was Hillary Clinton actually talking about when she says that uh, Bernie Sanders opposed the bailout? Because it didn't really get adequately explained, and certainly not by uh, not by CNN when this issue came up. So there were three votes that are of, of consequence. The first is the vote for TARP in October of 2008, which was kind of a carte blanche for Treasury to to play with $700 billion to bail out the banks. Hillary voted for it, uh, Bernie voted against, and Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow voted against. On December 11th, there was the Senate was trying to pass a House bill that would have given, frankly, too little money for, uh, the, for GM and Chrysler mm-hmm. for a bailout, and it did not pass cloture. Um, but all three people voted for that, so Hillary... Bernie, Stabenow, all voting for a car bailout that failed. That's the only vote that was ever specifically tied to an auto bailout. In January, um, between the time the new Congress came in and Obama was sworn in, the Republicans tried to cut off the second half of the TARP funding, um, $350 billion, mm-hmm. and, um, and that would have tied to $4 billion that was already kind of promised to the car industry, um, but had nothing to do with the larger, um, the, the total bailout was ultimately $85 billion, so I think that's $60, 70000000000 that wasn't promised yet, although 
it was kind of widely known that you would have needed to get money out of the TARP to bail out the car industry. But very specifically, Larry, Larry Summers wrote a letter to Congress saying, here's what we're going to do with this TARP money, and didn't mention an auto bailout at all. Zero. And, and, um, and also promised to, to give foreclosure relief and limits on, on executive compensation, neither of which promises were, were carried out. Um, so Sanders voted against the continued carte blanche for Treasury. That's what he voted against doing. Um, most Democrats, although there were six others who didn't, mm-hmm. most Democrats voted in favor of the second tranche of the TARP dollars. And, and that's the vote that Hillary is talking about. So it she's she's basically taking... So, so she's basically taking his vote against the Wall Street bailout and saying it was a, uh, a vote against the auto industry bailout? He voted to not give continued carte blanche to Treasury mm-hmm. for money that, in the end, did fund the auto bailout. Um, but it was ultimately about the, the larger bailout and, and the money that was left, the, the greater portion of it went to... So he's not, he's not yeah. on record as having opposed bailing out the auto industry, as uh, Clinton seemed to categorize it last night. He's on the record as supporting bailing out the auto industry. Connor, do uh, things like jobs lost due to trade agreements, as you heard him also reference in that response, uh, does that mean anything to voters in Flint right now where you are? Do they connect uh, those national uh, and and international policies, because we're talking about trade agreements, uh, to the factories that are shut in in Flint and so forth? Or are you guys so concerned right now with the water issue that uh, none of those broader issues uh, will affect voting? Well, if if you're in Flint, you're kind of juggling crises. Nobody's got the luxury of just worrying about one crisis at a time. Mm-hmm. So I would say, uh, I would say during the '90s, it was a little bit, it was a little bit unclear how much of the blame went to what. Um, but I think in retrospect, uh, you know, a lot of people associate the automotive downsizing with the 1980s. Mm-hmm. It, the Flint auto industry did lose 40,000 jobs during the 1980s. It also lost 40,000 jobs during the 1990s. And uh, a lot of the sense, I believe, is that uh, a great deal of that came directly from, from NAFTA. So, so no, there's, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely uh, the larger picture of unemployment being one of our biggest issues here, and uh, NAFTA looms very, very large in people's, in people's memory about that. We don't have—we're running late, and I, I wanted to get into these uh, this email business very, very quickly. So, uh, Marcy, maybe you can give me—I uh, don't even have time to play the audio here. Essentially, Anderson Cooper uh, charged that uh, Donald Trump is going to use the investigation of Hillary Clinton's email servers and so forth against her. Uh, and how will she respond to that in a general election? Hillary said, well, basically, I'm getting more votes than Donald Trump is, and she didn't speak to the email issue at all. I realize we're not giving this its proper due, but is the investigation into her emails, is that a real concern for Democrats thinking of voting for her as you see it, as you've looked at the uh, the issues of note in that investigation? Because San- Sanders reporters, uh, supporters are repeating the same thing that Trump is, basically, that, oh, she could be indicted. So nobody follows this stuff closer than you. Is, is that a real thing, that, the email servers? That, should that be a real concern for voters? I think it's a much greater chance that um, either Huma Abedin or Jake Sullivan, um, both of whom forwarded Clinton material that they may have known was classified, mm-hmm. I think they're at much greater risk of, 
um, legal problems. Uh, Those are aides, oh, aides, aides to Hillary Clinton, not Hillary right. Clinton. Right, and herself. so and she is fiercely, to her credit and to her discredit, if if the person involved is Mark Penn, um, she's fiercely loyal. And so the question would then be how she deals with some of her top aides getting in trouble because they may have shared classified information with her. There are other scenarios where I see that it could get closer to Hillary, but I think those are unlikely. I think it's, it's really going to be more about how her aides may or may not be implicated. Connor Coyne, very quickly, I got like 30 seconds here. Were you satisfied with the debate in Flint? Was there anything in particular they didn't hit you wish they would have? Uh, or do you feel uh, pretty good now that the national media is at least paying attention for the time being to what's going on in Flint, Michigan? as far as national attention goes, we're kind of uh, living paycheck to paycheck in a manner. And the, the debate was, uh, was perhaps a paycheck we didn't expect, and we're grateful for it. But these are long-term problems, and we've got to come up with a way to command focus long enough to get long-term solutions. Uh, that being said, with the exception, I wish they would have talked a little bit more about emergency management. Mm-hmm. I was happy with, uh, with the attention they gave to Flint, and specifically with the way they allowed Flint residents to express their personal experiences in the questions they asked. That is Connor Coyne. Uh, you can check him and his workout uh, at uh, ConnorCoyne, C-O-Y-N-E dot com. He is a writer and novelist and a stay-at-home dad from Flint, Michigan. And, of course, uh, that was uh, Marcy Wheeler just before that, uh, the uh, great journalist who must be read at EmptyWheel.net and on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Great to have both of you here with us today. Uh, much appreciated, and, and hope you'll uh, both be back with us uh, at some time in the near future. Thanks so much. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. My thanks also today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and as I said, to Marcy Wheeler and Connor Coyne. If you missed any portion of today's program, check it out at bradblog.com, where you can download it for free anytime. And over at iTunes, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find and follow me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Until next time. Oh, boy. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.